large crowds were traveling with Jesus, turning to them, he said, Whoever comes to me and doesn't hate father and mother, spouse and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even one's own life, cannot be my disciple. Whoever doesn't carry their own cross and follow me, cannot be my disciple. If one of you wanted to build a tower, then you first sit down and calculate the cost to determine whether you have enough money to continue. Otherwise, when you have laid the foundation or couldn't finish the tower, all who see it will begin to build you. They will say, here's the person who began construction and couldn't continue. What king would you go to war against another king without first sitting down to consider whether his 10,000 soldiers go up against 20,000 coming against him? And if he didn't think he could win, he would send a representative to discuss terms of peace while his enemy was still a long way off. In the same way, None of you who are unwilling to give up all of your possessions can be my disciples. Yeah, I love a good actual LOL scripture. You all pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In 1968, uh, Manuel Martinez constructed an altar for a mass outside of Bakersfield, in one of California's most prominent agri agricultural areas. I think they were listed in grapes. Um, Cesar Chavez had just undergone a 25-day fast to protest unfair employment practices and unsuitable conditions for work for migrant laborers. And so this table was made as a place of meeting, of communion, in the midst of all this activism, as a place of grace, as a feast, where, like we spoke last week, the highways and the byways gather all comers and they can encounter Jesus in the mystery of the bread and wine. For these migrant workers, it was, um, they were meeting God uh, among the fruits of their labor. So, and, and that meeting of the, the literal fruit and the, the wheat that turned into bread is meeting with God's wondrous work. On one side of the table, you can see is a cross with a a Jesus that looks a lot like most of these farmers, really dark brown skin, a really far cry from a lot of like 60s Sunday school rooms, the fair skin, blue-eyed Jesus. They needed, I think, to see and to know that the Jesus who suffered and died for them also suffered and died like them and, and with them. And that their suffering and their labor in the sun could kind of make sense inside of the life and concern of God and ultimately the redemption, there was redemption for their struggle. On another side of the altar you can see is an indigenous woman and she's holding wheat in one hand and grapes in the other. Like this is proto-bread and proto 
wine in their earliest stages. This connected them not only to the land, but also to participation in the feast. They would feast with God, and by grace, they could be elevated from invisible cogs in the system of, of produce and production to like earthbound co-laborers with God and a cosmic feast of redemption. It's a big imagination going on here. God would take, bless, break, and give what they had tended from the ground and God would give it back to them. That's God's very self. This is a, a really good deal. <laughs> There would also be an invitation for them to enter and to re-enter again and again the life of God. Eternal life that starts now. So right away you can see a deep connection between our labor and God's. Between work and worship. Feasting and fasting. And this ethos of communion that, permeate, that permeates through it all. So it's a beautiful thing on this holiday weekend. It's a very like public domain open source holiday for us all, but it's it's a, a really gratifying thing when we can begin to uh, reconnect it to God's work, to, to re-heighten our awareness for the ways that, that work connects us and, and can connect us to each other and to God, particularly to the least, the last, the lost, the littlest, and the closest to God. I shared um, in our Friday newsletter, shout out Friday newsletter if you don't get it. Um, you can fill out another card on the clipboard um, and uh, receive that. Um, the Book of Common Prayer has a beautiful blessing uh, for workers and work. Um, this prayer goes Almighty God, you have so linked our lives with one another that all we do affects for good or ill all other lives. So guide us in the work that we do, that we may not do it for self alone, but for the common good. And as we seek a proper return for our own labor, make us mindful of the rightful aspirations of other workers and arouse concern for those who are out for Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives in names with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. can see some of these connections starting to take shape, especially for this weekend. In the passage that Gary read, Jesus continues to travel and teach. He's starting to gain a large crowd who has come to see what he's doing and hear what he's saying. And what comes next out of Jesus' mouth that Gary read and laughed at a little bit, it almost seems like self-sabotage for someone trying to gain a problem. Sometimes I like to try to imagine what it would be like if Jesus, um, if Jesus' ministry existed in like a social media saturated world like ours. I don't think Jesus would necessarily be much for some of these forms of communication that are like excarnational. <laughs> you know, Jesus is the word made flesh, not the other word But I think these crowds would have been firing off posts like constantly about everything that was. That would, that would be amazing. Uh, every move and every word from this, like, red rocks filling rock star rabbi in all of his words and things that he's doing. I'm sure his next words would have temporarily broken Twitter when he said, Whoever comes to me and doesn't hate his 
father and mother, spouse and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even one's own life cannot be my disciple. Whoever doesn't carry their own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Does he mean that? Should there be an edit button? I have lots of questions here. This Jesus, who set his face towards Jerusalem, but has not yet been sentenced to his cross, is setting the stage and calling his hearers and, and those original hearers, but we are also hearers this morning, calling us to a much more costly way of being in the world. That we might be participants, not just spectators. That Jesus is saying, nibbling around the edges just isn't going to work. Dipping our toes is no match for this immersive life that Jesus is walking against. Bonhoeffer famously described discipleship and said, when Christ calls a person, he bids him come and die. I think what Jesus is saying is there's no like JV vocation or like creative loophole out of it. The Jesus life equals death. The Jesus call equals the cross. And then he gets on this kind of rant about things that you have to hate in order to love Jesus the right way. These relationships that Jesus is downgrading, well, first off, maybe some of his hearers didn't hear this as all that threatening. Maybe they already hated their parents. Maybe they were already alienated from their spouse and kids. Maybe their siblings wouldn't return their calls, or maybe they just don't like to call their siblings anyway. Maybe this was a box that they could already check in Jesus' favor. Unlike those other rabbis, Jesus must have seemed so metal for this thing. You know, like, um, but I wonder how this sounded for the others. I wonder how this sounded for like the so-called new kids, like me, who like their mom and dad, and call their brother, and hang out with their wife and kids. They're the ones with all sorts of social ties and safety nets. How does this sound? How does it, how does it sound um, to have to forfeit or abandon all these things that would never let them slip through too many cracks? You know? I wonder what kind of exit ramp this must have been for Jesus' audience. People just like, okay, I was with you. All the other stuff you said, this, I'm out. You know? But I think what Jesus is doing here, this is what happens with most idols, when you press on them. Jesus is like pressing on the subtle idol of social stability for these people. Subtle idol of social stability. All these really good things that can't be the capital G good thing in our lives. These are hard words, Jesus. Trading in the relationships I most care about and who most care about me for the cold beams of a death row device. We couldn't have heard Jesus right. This doesn't hit our modern sensibilities too easily. This sounds like a really bad trend. Then Jesus lays out some of the math and invites them to do their own research. He connects this back to like labor and these complicated campaigns like building towers and going to war. By the way, both are very Roman things to do, build towers and go to war. So the Eclipse version is 
Always know where your funding is going to come from before you start stacking bricks. And make sure you aren't outnumbered before the bullets start to fly. Both like good proverbs, solid stock, right? But also like this kind of advice seems like really a crass way of talking about participating in the kingdom of God. As if the kingdom of God can be built by bricks. It's kind of like Pharaoh vibes, right? Like that doesn't build the kingdom with bricks, but with living stones with people. And also, as if God needs protection. I think, I think it's telling that Jesus provides a preview at the end of that line of this most famous story that's coming in the next chapter in Luke 15, where he says the prodigal dad um, is becoming himself a representative to discuss terms with peace while his enemy is still a far way off. Like that language kind of slips in. Jesus can't help but just like give to the grace, you know? As you can see, this is all kind of unstable territory. It, it, it doesn't kind of work the way we might think. And when we read it, we, we might just burst out laughing because of the absurd, absurdity of it all. You think of that line in the Jason Isbell song, it says, we thought God was an architect, but now we know that that's something like a pipe bomb ready to blow. Like it's all really unstable and dangerous stuff. And Jesus' punchiest punchline is that in the same way, none of you who are unwilling to give up your stuff can be my disciple. What a lie. So you didn't get, get people by hating your mom and dad. You didn't have to tell them to give away their stuff. The word here for give up is like say farewell or kiss a goodbye. Like it's pretty harsh, actually. It's, it's less like pack up your gear and bring it to Goodwill for a tax deductible donation. It's more like burn it, get it out of your life. I think of the writer Annie Dillard, who talks this way about writing, this kind of um, self-sacrificial, dangerous, unstable way of being. And she says one of the few things that she knows about writing, and she's a good writer who knows a lot about writing, she says, spend it all, shoot it, play it, lose it all right now, Every time, don't hoard what seems good for a later place. And that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. Spend it all, shoot it, play it, lose it all right now, every time. Again, easy for you to say, Jesus. You don't have all this stuff. <laughs> but what if Jesus is, is not just nice? What if Jesus is not dispensing good advice, what if Jesus is actually really smart about this? What if Jesus, like Dallas Willard said, what if Jesus is the smartest human that's ever lived? What if what, what if what he's saying is is like not just a good way, but what if Jesus is showing us the way, the way of the truth and the life, right? What what if what if what Jesus is doing here is is wise and the only real option for us if we want to be with God? This is a way that leads to and through the cross of suffering and abandonment. This is a really kind of like bitter pill for most of us to swallow who build up our lives on success and security and all of these seemingly good things. There's no way to hack this. There's no way to soften the blow. If you want to be with Jesus, you have to meet him in these places of, of 
sorrow and abandonment and instability. That always feels like bad news until it feels like the really good news that it is. You see, this is good news. It's, it's good news that Jesus is with us in these places. Because these are the places that we, we don't opt for and never saw coming for ourselves. These are the times in our lives when our family ties are severed. When we have no one left. When our friends don't like us. When people don't take our calls. It's then that Jesus is with us. This is good news that when we desperately just want to build something great, maybe we devoted our whole life to it, but we either don't have the credit score or the engineering skills to make it happen, or we can't get it started, or what we got started we can't keep from just falling in on our head constantly. It's good news, because even when that happens, Jesus is with us. It's good news when we feel embattled, and when we feel outnumbered, and when we feel threatened and scared or outflanked, or exhausted, or we don't want to fight anymore, it's good news because Jesus is with us. It's even good news when we keep ourselves so buffered with our stuff, even really good stuff, <laughs> and it drowns out the cries of those who are in need, or it sucks all our energy and creativity just to like kind of keep the trains running on time, or keep all the plates spinning at just enough RPM so they don't just all fall and everything go a way that even when we're not good at the things that we feel like we need to be good at, Jesus is with us. It's, it's good news. It's gospel. And Jesus is welcoming us into this new way of being, into this new world. It's really disorienting. Sometimes it's tough to imagine how to even be here. This is a, a kind of economy of grace that's necessarily bold and generous and like teetering on recklessness. <laughs> and it's got the cross right in the middle of it. You can't get around it. You just have to go through it. So our call is the call of Hebrews 12. It says, let's throw off any extra bag. Let's get rid of the sin that trips us up and let's fix our eyes on Jesus, faith's pioneer and perfecter, the architect and the finisher. It's Jesus endured the cross, ignoring the shame, and for the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him, sat down at the right side of God's throne. Friends, that's, our, that's still our invitation to fix our eyes on Jesus. One who took the cross. And, and friends, will you also, just this week, in some maybe new way, in some way that you know and just avoid, will you also take up your cross and walk with Jesus? You pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for this bad news that is so good news. The bad news that we, we might have to leave things behind and, and dump things that, that keep us from seeing you and knowing you and walking with you. Some of these things are too heavy to carry. 
think you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. We thank you that you walk with us, even when we don't know how to walk with you. We thank you for your call that comes to us over and over and bids us to come and die, but gives us the only real and true kind of lives. Thanks for a community learning how to do this together. Um, thanks that we never have to be alone. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.